Ah, what a day it's been. Quiet, wet, cold outside. Man, what a waste of time. <laughs> There's not much you can do, really. You just sit at home here. Uh, do nothing except uh, playing games and drinking whiskey, I guess. I currently stopped watching Netflix. Uh, it's not as appealing as it used to be. And uh, wait, let me check if the microphone is standing correctly. Test, test, do you hear me? Can anyone hear me? Uh-huh. Well, um, because of the, the, the topic, you know, pandemic and all that, and we're still stuck at home, at least in most places in the, in, in the world anyway, um, we don't have that many options what to do. And I, for one, as a complete loner, as I usually am, I'm, I'm at home most of the time doing my stuff, doing my work, my, my studies and whatnot. And we'll come to that maybe sometime later. I still haven't gotten uh, the nerve to actually go through my material because it's, you know, seeing my own drawings and paintings is, is like, it's a love and hate relationship. Sometimes I can't stand the stuff I do. It just looks ridiculous and horrible. And at other times I think, yeah, that's okay. Maybe I could sell that, you know. So I'm very self-critical. And I like to push myself to a better quality standard, if you, if that makes any sense at all. And, uh, of course, this is just a matter of opinion because some people might like what I do. Others think uh, what I produce is, is crap. So, you know, taste varies. But that's not why I'm here today. And I don't want to talk about relationship stuff either because I'm really getting sick of that. Last time online dating, God, I had nightmares from this. Ugh, the people. Ah, just shoot them already. Hmm. By the way, I'm enjoying a whiskey from Ireland. It's called Talisker. It's a very smoky whiskey. It has a nice taste, but I have to say, I have tasted better. Talisker is a great whiskey. I love it, but mm, it's not as smoky as I'd like it to be. And I have tasted, I think my favorite whiskey so far is the Kilcoman whiskey from Scotland. Um, for some reason, there's, there's a taste there. It, it, it has no sweetness. It just tastes like smoke, and I love that. It's beautiful. While, you know, Talisker tastes a little bit more like caramel and smoke, that doesn't do it for me. But that's just my personal opinion. You don't have to quote me on that. So, today I'd like to talk about something more simple, actually, but yet complicated enough and annoying at times, and that is horror movies. I love horror movies. I always have. And it's, it's one of the, the most interesting things about the movie-making business, not just to frighten people, but to, to provoke them uh, emotionally in other ways and also intellectually to at least stretch the boundaries a little bit and move past the, the, the standard mainstream popcorn movie uh, uh, formula that we know from movies like Titanic or, uh, I don't know, science fiction if you want, and all these love and drama movies. And, and Not that I don't like them. I do like them. I, I do watch a lot of that stuff too. I love biopics. I think, uh, for example, Michael Keaton's movie, The, the Founder, 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, the title was The Founder, the story about how the, uh, Ray Kroc came to fame with the McDonald's business. That's a pretty interesting movie. You should watch that if you haven't. I think Michael Keaton is giving one of his best performances there. So, you know, knock yourself out. But when it comes to horror films, it's it's a completely different world. And I know the argument for many people saying, why do you watch this stuff? It's just about killing. It's about blood. It's about guts and, and naked women and all that stuff. And yeah, uh, in parts it is because it's a part of the formula. But everything else that actually sets up the movie to later on underline the movie with a violence and and some sexual content. Well, you know, personally, I don't really care about the sexual content in, in horror films. I don't want to watch a horror film because of the boobs. If I want to watch that, I watch a different film. I want to watch it to be provoked and pulled out of reality into a world that I haven't seen before, filled with dangers, uh, primitive fears, as well as uh, mental problems and social issues that somehow get mixed into this horror film world. And that is something that I always like because it feels more real to me to watch movies that way than, for example, watching uh, Crime is King or other action flicks that are, of course, fun to watch and beautifully done. And, and uh, a cinematography that just screams for more uh, for, for a, a prequel or a sequel. But no, that's a different thing. Oops, my chair is breaking. I really have to get myself a new chair again. Oh, never mind that. I'll, I'll try not to move. If it does squeak, maybe it's a mouse this time. But before we get to the, to the movies themselves and some of my favorite flicks that I'd like to touch upon for the next hour, I suppose, um, something that is really mind-boggling for a while now is the fact that many people produce extremely bad horror films. And the quality is just getting worse, even for Hollywood standards. And there is a reason for that, especially when we want to touch on Hollywood. Hollywood is like completely in the shitters right now. They haven't made a decent flick in years. And all they care about is profit. And right now, of course, profits are crumbling because of the pandemic. We can't really show anything in theaters anymore at least not very often, and not in every country. And even if you can, I don't think that many people would actually get out of the house to you know, wear their mask and do some testing and whatever is necessary to get into the theater just to be, again, seated separately from your neighbors without having actual the social event that you were, that you were looking for in the first place. And that kind of destroys the magic here. But apart from that, even years before, the quality in horror films have been declining, not just in horror films themselves and, 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 and um, other similar movies, but Hollywood in general is just like fucking themselves up completely with, with the exceptions of, of a few good movies. Like, I do have to say the, the, the Marvel movies are really well done. And that's basically because of Kevin Feige being in control creatively. Because if, if Disney would have done it themselves, the movies wouldn't be even half as good. I mean, just look what happened to Star Wars. And then, you know, look at Mrs. Kennedy here, what the fuck she's doing in that business. And then 
uh, do I need to say more? I mean, Star Wars is fucked. I don't want to watch anything of it anymore. I, just, I don't care. I did like Star Wars before. I don't like it now. I'm just giving it a break. I didn't even watch Star Trek anymore. It's really getting annoying. It's just, it's not the quality that I am used to. I'm used to something else. I'm, I'm used to c cerebral penetration here. <laughs> I want to be provoked intellectually by watching science fiction movies and TV shows. The old Star Trek was gigantic. The classics, the next generation, of course. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart as, as Jean-Luc Picard was just phenomenal. And everything they've been doing now, the new stuff, doesn't even come close for fuck's sake. I do understand that it's time, that it's time for a change in visuals, maybe in storytelling. That's okay. I get that. It, there was, it was a huge gap between the classic uh, Star Trek t TV series and Next Generation. And it needed some convincing to the fans as well to actually get the show starting. And the Next Generation show only became really popular in season two and three. The first season was, you know, kind of mixed reviews and not everybody was happy about it because, you know, because change, of course, I get that. But still, it had amazing integrity. It had a, 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 fuck, I can't remember the word. It was philosophically just brilliantly written and it was thought-provoking. And that is what Star Trek is always all about. Right, and I didn't really want to talk about Star Trek, but it just popped into my head because this is one of the most annoying things to me. The transition from the old series to, to the new Picard show is like somebody's pulling my guts out and flushing them down the toilet. It, it doesn't come close to the original concept. It's really pathetically poor. And I'm not sure if I want to watch the second season. I have to be honest here. I'm so disgusted by it. It's so bad. Ugh. But, yeah, that's another story. We might come back to that later. Uh, maybe not today, but, um, yeah, I just I just got really upset. Again, I have to drink another sip of my whiskey. <laughs> ah, ooh, yeah. Okay, horror films. We're ten minutes in, and I'm talking about Star Trek. Horror movies today suck maybe not all of them i am not up to date with the production i've been too busy doing other things work for one thing but uh, you know like the movie movies like the conjuring which the first one was quite okay the other uh, you know the 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 sequels i haven't really been watching them that closely then you have these annabelle horror films uh, with that stupid puppet and all that. It, it, it has potential, I get that. But the formula is always the same. And the formula gets copied from movie to movie to movie. It's always, always, always the same. And you have jump scares everywhere. I mean, there is no originality anymore. There's no original idea. There's nothing, nothing new that people would like to try. And I think what is really sad is that Hollywood is not even thinking about risking money and gambling a little bit on experimentation like they used to in the 70s and 80s. But today it's only, uh, only just, look, we, we have to make a fast buck. We, we're going to invest like 500000 up to a million to a horror film, maybe some more. 
And when it's at the box office, we'll at least make 30 million. That's going to be fine. And that's all they care about. And they used to do it a bit differently. Of course, it was always about money. Uh, they have to make a living somehow. They have investors. They want their profit. Uh, they have the suits up in, 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 the, in, in their whatever fucking towers they, they live in, in, in nowadays. The people responsible for Warner, Warner Brothers, Paramount Pictures, Sony, and all those small uh, little film businesses that all want a profit somewhere, and they're all looking for, for some, some more money. How can we make money with this? What about that? And they have the audacity to jump in there in production, these fucking suits, and force a director to do a movie differently. Otherwise, you know, it might get a little risky for the director to find work in the future. So this kind of harassment is responsible why, why movies like Land of the Dead, which was uh, directed and written by George Romero. I love this guy so much. It's such a shame that he passed, but he, he, was, he died a ripe old age, I might say, and, and uh, we can be thankful that for everything this man did. Without him, we, we wouldn't have The Walking Dead, for fuck's sake, okay? And you can say whatever you want about The Walking Dead. It's a homage to George Romero's work. Even Kirkman said that. Okay, he grew up with these horror films. He loved them. He made his own version of it, his own interpretation of George Romero's material in the comics, and he was successful later to transfer that to the to the uh, movie screen, uh, not movie screen, but the TV screen. And uh, the first seasons were just gigantic. I think up to season eight or nine, I still watched it, and right now it's like it's, it's like meh, you know. Negan is cool. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is like a god here. And <laughs> his performance is always spot on. But uh, yeah, the rest is a different story. We can wait until the show, uh, the, this show kind of wraps up itself. But it all started with George Romero. And just to get back to Land of the Dead when it was filmed, we had... Night of the, of the Living Dead was the first time, 1968, when it came out. Then we had, of course, in 78, I think, um, Dawn of the Dead, a, a great masterpiece film. Then we have my personal, absolute favorite zombie movie of all time, Day of the Dead, which I think is an underrated gem, brilliantly acted, and, in my opinion, and just super well-crafted with all the, the, the loneliness, the panic... Uh, schizophrenic behavior and hopelessness, which is um, an important part of this, the the, the zombie universe. And uh, I I still love watching this movie today. I've seen it like a gazillion times. It's a great film, and um, I'm going to touch on Day of the Dead a bit later for a specific reason. But Land of the Dead was. It, 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 it is a pretty good film. I do like it. it. It is not as impactful as Dawn of the Dead or Night and, and Day, of course, but it has potential. It is still one of the better zombie movies out there. Um, it's by no means a terrible film, but it was a bit rushed, and, and George was also under pressure, so he said at least, and maybe not. maybe pressure is not the right word, but he never felt free to do what he wanted to do. I mean, he, he, he was a filmmaker from Pittsburgh, right? And um, he did a Hollywood production or Hollywood finance production because they offered him money to make a dead sequel. And um, 
Yeah, he was surrounded by suits, he said. And they were walking on set, looking at the production. They were looking at the cast, at what George was doing, and observing the, the progress. And that is disturbing in and of itself. It would be nothing from me. I can't work with one of these cocksuckers walking around and disturbing me on set. I'm trying to work here, for fuck's sake. You want a job? Be a pimp or something. Get the fuck off the set. But they feel like they're in charge. And that's a huge problem in the movie-making industry, I think. But that's just me. We could ask Sam Raimi if he sees it differently. But uh, I would suggest he doesn't. And, well... That's one thing. Like I said, the formula in horror films is getting copied over and over again. And the other bad part in, in, uh, in horror movies this day and age is we have a, a gigantic problem in creativity when it comes to these low-budget horror films. Most of them are really, really upmost trash. And I don't want to trash the uh, movie directors and, and the cast making this film. I'm sure they had fun making it, and they had good intentions. Of course, why not? Making movies is probably a lot of fun, unless, of course, you're cut off from, from finances or uh, somebody forbids you to do this and that. Interference of all kind is not really fun in this business, I, I guess. But if you're an independent filmmaker and you just want to do whatever you want to do, today it's been the easiest as it's ever been. I mean, you just grab a camera, a cheap one. You can. Some people make horror films on their fucking iPhone. All right? And for me personally, that's where the problem starts. You know, because anybody can do a movie these days. And everybody thinks they can make a movie. They can't. That's it. <laughs> that's the real deal here. Okay, um, I do appreciate it when people take a camera and try to make their own movies and try to make something of value to them. That's fine. But if they think they have to market it and show it to the world, the response will not be what they think it's going to be. Because they lack the experience, they lack the knowledge, they lack um, the skill, by far the skill the most, and have no understanding of how a movie is supposed to be told, or at least a story compelling enough to actually make a horror film interesting and entertaining at the same time without you falling asleep after the, five, the first five minutes. And that's where Day of the Dead now comes into play, because Day of the Dead has been remade twice, as far as I know. And I have it here somewhere. I've got a website open. Um, I'm going to add a link to... Um, the original Day of the Dead to the uh, IMDb website. Uh, if you don't want to, if you don't need the link and you know the movie anyway, I don't have to tell you anything about it. But if you don't, uh, check it out. There is uh, the worst movie for me personally. One of the worst is Day of the Dead Bloodline from 2017, directed by Hector Hernandez Vincents. I think is his name. If I've pronounced it correctly. If not, I'm sorry. Um, written by Mark Tondere and Lars Jacobson, if I'm correct. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a terrible, terrible film. It's really, it's really extremely bad, and it's even worse than the last remake, which is astonishing that it can get any worse, you know. 
And that's, again, um, the same kind of, of, of uh, uh, scenario that we have, just like with one of the latest Hellraiser movies that we had. Um, I have to look that up. The, I don't remember the name of... Let me just get it real quick. What's it called? Uh, yeah, Hellraiser Judgment was the last one. And we had before that Hellraiser Revelations from 2011. Hellraiser Judgment was from 2018. Both movies. Ah, well, I think Revelations was partially okay. There were some scenes, as far as I can remember, that were compelling enough to build on that. But Hellraiser Judgment is just a stupid film. It's really unbelievably stupid. The first Hellraiser, I mean, Clive Barker's films are just, they're a masterpiece. They are just purely brilliant. I can't stress that enough. If you haven't seen Hellraiser, for fuck's sake, get off your ass and watch the movie. Okay? It's low budget. Yeah, sure it is. But it's compelling. The story is told brilliantly. And you can actually learn a thing or two about movie making when watching these geniuses at work. Okay? Uh, same goes for Wes Craven, uh, Sean S. Cunningham, um, Toby Hooper, and uh, what's what's the other guy's name? Oh, yeah, right, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. He's also one of the greats. He is. He 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 needs to be mentioned. <laughs> of course, he does. And uh, that's look. The problem we have today is. When someone like in 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 a Day of the Dead, this 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 Hector Hernandez dude, all right. Now I'm sure that he is a hugely cool guy, friendly dude, probably nice to drink with or have a ball. I get that. I don't want to trash him personally, but the movie is dog shit. You just can't watch it. There are scenes in there that are so ridiculous. The making, like I think. That, that, that zombie Bob from Day of the Dead, the interpretation of this version here, it starts talking, I think, as far as I can remember. And uh, the whole scenery, the dialogue, the effects, it's just, why bother? Why the fuck make a movie like that? I, th I think the, the, the first uh, uh, remake, Day of the Dead from 2008, if, if, I, if I'm not mistaken here, that was so incredibly bad because the zombies there, not only were they running like crazy, but they were climbing up walls and, and crawling on the ceiling and stuff like that and jumping around. And I thought, I was sitting like on my couch back then watching this film and thinking, what the fuck were they thinking? How can this be horrifying in any way? It just looks goofy and idiotic. Why make a movie like that? What the fuck is the point? Okay. Don't call this a horror film. It has nothing to do with horror. You could you could show this to five-year-olds and they would crack up crying, laughing. Jesus. Okay, if you want to pay homage to George Romero, I get that. Many people do. The zombie genre is probably the most butchered genre in the history of movie making. Okay, because one guy had an awesome hit by accident almost in 1968 Everybody else lost their shit and thought, ooh, making zombie movies is easy. No, it's not, asshole. 
It's not. Making a zombie movie is hard, just like any movie is hard if you want to do it right. Okay? And I don't understand why people underestimate this. They think they can buy a cheap camera. Like I said, that's the problem. Get anything. Get a phone, get a camera, get, get a camcorder, get uh, an action cam, anything. The GoPro, people start making movies. It's insane. Making YouTube videos is one thing. If you're really good and skilled at that, you can actually make a compelling YouTube video. That, that, that doesn't mean that you can actually make a feature film and tell a story. Most people can't fucking do that. It's a fact. And it's, get, it's getting worse because production costs have uh, declined. Uh, dramatically, because it's, like I said, it's easy to get a camera. Um, even if you want a, a good, a, a better quality camera, you can get one. And then you have everything recorded on an SD card or an external drive or whatever it is that you're using. And you can use that material digitally on your computer. Do with it as you please. You can add effects, filters. It's all becoming very, very simple these days. You still have to put effort into it, of course. But um, the things, the, the elements that you need to make the movie are getting easier and cheaper to come by. And that, of course, le uh, just makes people enlighten themselves somehow and get the idea, ooh, I'm going to make a movie now. That's fine. You can make that movie. But, you know, if you really want to do it right, you should ask people who have done this before. Okay, get some experience. Get some, get some help. If you want to make an impact and you want to bring this movie out on the market... You can make a low-budget film, it's fine. But you can also make a good quality low-budget film. Get help. Ask people who have done this shit before. Okay? Don't th think just because you know what Clive Barker did, you can do yourself again. You can't. Simple as that. And uh, there's a reason for this, this, this nonsense. Um, if you think that the old days were the same, of course not. That's not true. I have figured out that if you want to make a movie these days with, with, with real film reels, and we're talking 35 millimeter film, that's much more expensive. A lot. You have to get a camera somehow. The camera is, I think buying one is, is uh, not even up for debate. You could buy a house from that. At, at least to my knowledge, these cameras are really expensive. And uh, they make a, personally, in my opinion, with all the film grain, they make a better recording than any digital camera. And it, it's not the same to me. There is no film magic without that graininess and the different color scheme that you can record with these cameras. And back in the old days, in the 70s and the 80s, if you wanted to make a low-budget film, you, it, it wasn't that easy to start. So I think personally, that's my theory, you, if you're really convinced that you want to make a movie, then you go the extra mile, which means you get investors, you get people backing you up, you're looking for a, a cast for actors that can actually do their job because you're concerned if they can't and if it's too campy and too cheesy and too stupid, people won't believe it or just start laughing about it like they do nowadays. So, um, I mean, it's not, they're not acting in Oscar material here. 
they're not Academy Award winners. I get that. But they still push themselves to a limit that can be respected and should be respected compared to what people are doing nowadays. It's not all trash, but a lot of it, like over 90% at least, is complete garbage. Something I don't want to watch unless I'm completely drunk. And if I am, I watch porn. Of course I do. So, yeah, I'm not going to watch that. And, well, like I said, back in the old days, um, I'm, I'm sinking in my chair here. Like I said, you, you have to find investors. You, get, you have to get the money somehow together. You have to approximately get your numbers right to rent a camera, maybe two if you can, but one is expensive enough. And paying the reels, that is something that I've discovered recently. If you want to buy a film from Kodak, one reel, okay, 35 millimeters, one reel runs, I'm not quite sure how many feet long, I've, I forgot that, but I know that one reel runs around 11 minutes. You can record 11 minutes maximum with a reel like that. And that reel alone costs from Kodak around 750 to 800 US dollars. One reel. So if you fuck this up, and you, you've wasted material. You have to record again. But you can't use the original reel, of course. It's an analog uh, technology here. You're actually shooting tiny little pictures, 24 frames a second. And if that reel is full, you got to exchange it and take another reel and another shot and another. And you, you can spend at least $8,000 to $10,000 into these reels to have enough material ready to shoot. And if you're wasting it and... Every scene, you know, uh, takes up how many takes? How many times have you seen, in, uh, you know, on, on, on gag reels, like in Star Trek, when they just crack up and can't get the sentence right, they have to reshoot over and over and over again. They, and they're shooting on film. They're not shooting on something else, not on VHS. They're shooting on film. So they're wasting material, a lot of material, and it costs money. So if you're really, really into this and you want to make a movie, you have to know the risks and you have to know what you're investing your money in. And if you have no money at all, you can't just take the fucking iPhone. There is no iPhone. There is, there is no, there is no uh, small, compact Sony camera that you can just carry around with you and shoot something stupid in, in the woods like every fucking moron does, okay? No. You have to stick with the basics. And that's why I think only the really good, the diehard convinced people who wanted to do a movie knew the risks and pushed themselves to get through it. Like George Romero, like Sam Raimi and his Evil Dead movies, like uh, John Carpenter with his first Halloween movie and all that stuff. It's not easy. I'm sure it's not easy. And I respect everybody who went through this process and made the actual movie come to life and actually get that fucking footage on film. It's unbelievable. And today, well, look, like I said, today everybody thinks they can make a movie. And that's where the quality just flushes down the toilet, gets jerked off from the window, and you get nothing. Watch Hellraiser, the new one. Watch that. It's, there is a scene, mind you. There's a scene where a copper, a female copper is investigating a corpse with a few other people and, you know, just police officers investigating a crime scene. And there's a corpse on the floor. And 
that corpse has a gigantic scar, I think, as far as I can remember, on its chest and, and, and the stomach area. And the first two male policemen or FBI agents, what the fuck, I don't remember. It's just some douchebag, right? Working for the justice system. Investigates this place and they haven't discovered anything unusual until the woman comes along and notices that there's something weird, opens up the body, opens up that scar of, of, of the stomach, and a puppy comes out, a dog, that didn't suffocate inside the body. No, of course not, because movie logic, okay? And then it just walks around and is happy. And how the fuck does that work? How the fuck can anyone get the idea that this is good? You know, that's just... You want to take the director and punch him in the face, really. That's just the dumbest thing anyone could have ever done in a movie. It's unbelievable. Why? Why do people do this? Why? Is it because they ran out of ideas and don't know what they're doing? Or uh, think they know what they're doing and they're coming up with the most ludicrous idea ever and they think, oh yeah, this scene is great, we're going to surprise people? Dude, there's a bridge somewhere. Jump from it. Okay? God, this really pisses me off because I'm sitting there watching this shit. So does almost everybody else who wasted their time and money on this movie. And you're watching this stuff and thinking, not anybody with enough common sense and an intelligence of at least two, uh, two peanuts could come up with an idea like that and think it's cool. It's, it's beyond pathetic. And I miss good quality horror films. I really miss that. It's, it's, it's a sad life that we have nowadays. It's, it's not what it used to be by far. I get that. Um, the CGI has gotten to a point where it's almost believable and it's, it's looking good in The Walking Dead, but they have a different budget, of course. We don't have to talk about that. Um, Craig Nicotero and his company is doing a great job in creating these visual effects and combining them with practical effects to make it look really astonishingly great. And that's not, not something that the low-budget people have. But like I said, instead of actually going the extra mile, you know, and, and trying to do something really good, well, they, they just fail every time. And it, uh, the artwork on, on movie covers is often better than the movie itself, especially talking about the old Italian movie, uh, horror movie genre, from, you know, directors like uh, Lucio Fulci. Uh, this guy, I mean, God rest his soul, he's, he's been dead now a long time. But, but his movies... Oh, God, he was one of the worst in, of, of, of his time. He was one of these dudes who had a great reputation in Italy, and it's fine, I get that. But outside of Italy, he was belittled and laughed at because his movies really were not that good to begin with. But I know everybody's opinion is different, and he, maybe he did one or, two, one or two good movies. Like, I think Voodoo, uh, that, that zombie movie on the island from some time in the 70s was probably one of the best movies he did and that's it I, I've seen a few of his I forgot the titles they're just too bad they're, they're just horrible I can't watch that 
but that's a I think that's because of the culture in, in, in Italy when they make movies like that horror movies a lot of these movies are just too eccentric and too dramatic push up to a level where you just really can't uh, cope with it if you're an outsider if you're like a German or or American this kind of movie uh, and with the the over-the-top acting and emotions overacting that's just um, not our cup of tea that's not what we're used to so yeah I get that there are fans for this kind of film but it's not that um, it's it's not that thought-provoking and it's not that interesting to watch um, Forgive me for trashing these films, but I really, I really can't uh, relate to that to that stuff. I think the best Italian horror film director is still um, Dario Argento, if I pronounce it correctly. I'm not sure. This guy is, is a genius. He's the best Italian horror movie director of all time, and he tops other directors as well. He's one of these guys. He makes movies, and uh, I think I think Suspiria is one of his films. Uh, I don't, I'm too lazy to get to the keyboard. I don't want to look it up. But what I do remember is that he's very famous for telling stories with pictures and the color in the pictures. And he's, he's very careful with how to shoot film, how to shoot the picture, how to, how to portray the actors. And um, he doesn't need much dialogue. He, he just tells the story with his pictures. And it's, the way he shoots it, it's just brilliant. He's really, really good, and I think he's still alive and making movies. Um, that's something to look out for. If you want to watch good Italian movies, Dario Argento is the way to go. Forget everybody else. This is the the guy you can learn something from. And, well, um, yeah, g- getting down to uh, to the facts is... Is is the sad truth that uh, Hollywood is not really doing very well. The low budget horror film industry is getting exhausting for me. I don't even have the time to look up what's actually new and hot and good. I'm sure that somewhere down the line there is a movie that stands out and becomes um, a brilliant film. One of the older movies from the early 2000s maybe 2004 or something, with the actor Ray Wise in the leading role, was, I think, a film shot in Canada called Dead End, which is about um, the, the during Christmas time, family is riding a car, uh, driving a car down some, some country road off the highway, and they get lost. And the entire movie is shot almost entirely in that car. And on the road, the same road the entire time. And it's a beautiful film. It's one of my favorite horror movies. If you haven't uh, checked it out yet, I'm going to link it as well, uh, if I don't forget. Um, Dead End is one of those gems. It should have been marketed heavier. It wasn't, unfortunately. But it's an, an absolutely stunning horror film without the need for excessive violence. It's just a great great story the ending might disappoint i'm not going to give that away but i do like it and um the cast is just brilliant it's absolutely brilliant the soundtrack is beautiful it's just it's a really good compelling film and 
one of my other favorite horror films that I could really recommend is, of course, George Romero's movies. Day of the Dead is still my number one, my, one of my absolute favorite. Hellraiser for sure. And uh, there's also a different film that I haven't mentioned before. I think it was shot in Great Britain at the time. I don't remember the year and I don't remember the actors' names. I'm not good with British actors, to be honest. I haven't seen that many movies of, of the horror film business over there. My favorite British, British actor of, of all time is probably David Tennant, who is just, oh, I love that guy. He's just so charming. Such a nice dude. So so many skills. Oh. If you haven't seen Jessica Jones, for example, on Netflix or Disney, um, he plays the purple guy, the, the purple man. Genius. Just pure genius. He's so good. But um, the horror film I wanted to mention is Dog Soldiers. It's, uh, a, a, it's, it's a British army platoon uh, just a gang of soldiers practicing somewhere outside in the woods. And I think, if I remember, I haven't seen this movie in a while, I have the DVD somewhere. They get surprised by werewolves and attacked and forced into some kind of cabin and they try to survive there. It's really a stunningly good werewolf film with practical effects. It's one of the best out there. Making werewolf films is hard. It's really hard. The Underworld sci-fi films, for example, is, uh, I think, one of the better versions of making werewolves, but it's, you know, Underworld is not really a horror film. It's more a fantasy flick than anything else. The horror film business has been suffering from very bad werewolf movies, especially the low-budget ones. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. I get a heart attack just thinking about it. But in the old days... Um, the best werewolf movies that I've seen are uh, American Werewolf in, in London or the original American Werewolf, so to speak. That's just, um, I think John Landis did that film. He's That movie wasn't intended to be a comedy, but it turned out to be a horror comedy, but a very good one. And it has the best practical transformation effect from human being to a werewolf ever seen on film, ever. It's really, really great. And it's an agonizing process. I do remember that the actor who played that, that werewolf guy, um, he was complaining on set quite a lot because he didn't expect the transformation to be this agonizing. Being in makeup hours and hours per day and really pissed off because he couldn't move, he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. And, you know, putting on these prosthetics and new makeup all the time. They had to make these shots frame by frame by frame to fake the transformation. And it looks still so great up to this day. It's just fantastic what they did there. So if you haven't checked uh, this movie out, you definitely have to watch it. Then there's, of course, the original uh, The Howling by... Uh, I forgot... Let me check what the website has to say about that. Yeah, I'm using an old mechanical keyboard. That's still fun for me. Ah, yeah, right, Joe Dante. Joe Dante did the original Howling uh, from 1981. Also a great movie. Um, 
they they used actors in costumes to portray these gigantic werewolves and uh, lots of practical effects as well and they tried not to make it look cheesy and these to me personally it looks really uh really well done really good and it's a compelling movie it's not the best werewolf movie for me personally at least i think the best werewolf movie is still the american werewolf and uh the old werewolf movies you know the black and white films i have never seen actually i always wanted to see them but I'm waiting because I am building at home um, a, a new self-made DIY wooden shelf with many, many uh, places and, 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 stuff, and storage space for, for books and comic books and movies, I guess. And on top of that, I wanted to, to mount um, a, a white screen, maybe motorized white screen, I'm not sure. Just a, a gigantic canvas for movies. And if I pull it down over the, the books, over the shelf, on the, on the opposite, there's my bed, and I want to lie in bed with a beamer over my head, maybe on the ceiling or a shelf. I'm not quite sure how to do that yet, but I'm going to do it. And I want that feeling to have a small, tiny theater right in front of my bed, lie there with popcorn, with whiskey and Coke and whatever I want, and just uh, not coke as in cocaine. Please don't misunderstand me. I do not do drugs. And um, yeah, I want that cinematic feeling. I just want to see that on screen. I'm going to pay a little more for a proper Beamer. But I think maybe Ben Q, I guess. I th last time I checked, it was around a thousand bucks, thousand two hundred for that thing. And I'm, I'm thinking about it, uh, doing myself a favor and getting something quite decent and uh, watching it in, in great picture quality on a gigantic screen. And if I do that, I want to watch the old movies again. I want to watch many black and white films. I want to have this cinematic feel because I can't get that anywhere else except for my home. I mean, I don't live in an area where I can, where I can actually go to theaters and watch classic movies because nobody wants to see them, at least not in my area. So um, I got to do it myself. I'd like to watch many sci-fi films from the 60s and 70s and just, you know, get back into that classic nostalgia and, and study these movies. I think that's really going to be fun. And um, maybe occasionally a new film as well. But that's okay. And, yeah, well, uh, other horror films that I could mention that are really fun to watch are the original Freddy Krueger movies, the Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street saga. Um, to, for me personally, still one of the greatest. Wes Craven created a, a gigantic character that's just um, larger than life almost. Uh, Robert England playing that guy. Um, I met him briefly, Robert England, on... Um, there was a, a, a horror film event in the north of, of Germany. Uh, I forgot the name of that place. I think it was called Weekend of Horrors. They might still have their website up. And every year they had a gigantic event and invited actors from, from uh, all over the place to sign autographs, to take pictures and all that kind of stuff. And you could walk up to them and just talk, you know, just... Uh, be up close it's not it, it wasn't it, it wasn't as large compared to the american uh meetings and and you know the i forgot the name you know you know what i mean 
these gigantic movie conventions. It's just, it's not like that. It was much smaller, and it's it's basically just for for a bunch of people sitting on a table, looking at, at, at each other, talking to fans and movie enthusiasts, and just, you know, be a part of a bigger program, I guess. And if you have enough money, back then, I didn't. I was in my 20s back then, and I... I um, I wanted to see uh, Kane Hodder up close. I, I met him. I, I shook his hand. The guy is awesome. I still have a picture with him somewhere, uh, or two uh, at least. And uh, Robert England, you know, he was very busy with his fans. Most people coming there, they, they wanted to see him because Freddie was, of course, huge in Germany, uh, more so than Jason. And uh, we also, I also met David Emge, who played uh, the Flyboy in the original Dawn of the Dead. Uh, great guy, super friendly, just a, a sweet, sweet man. I'm not sure what, what, what uh, happened to him, if he's still alive or not. I have to check on that. I just met him once, and as you can imagine, I mean, that was like 20 years ago. He might be in his 80s now. I have no idea. I hope he's doing fine, though. And um, I also met the late Joe Pilato, who played Captain Rhodes on Day of the Dead. This guy was insane. I mean, he was really um, a very eccentric and outspoken dude. But uh, he loved this kind of, of work, you know. And it's sad to see that he died so soon. And he was 70. I think he died a day after his birthday or something. That's It's quite tragic and uh, a loss to many fans, of course, and to people who who knew him personally. But... He could have been bigger, you know. He, he unfortunately, he he didn't get pulled into the bigger Hollywood fame. I think, and uh, I think he stuck to low budget movies for the most part. But these movies, like I said, I can really recommend them. And my favorite, um, my favorite movies of all time also belong to the Friday the Thirteenth uh, uh, saga. And, and those movies, um, Kane Hodder, obviously uh, one of my favorites. Uh, his his uh, personification and his interpretation of Jason is still the best, I think, ever done. And in part six, it was C.J. Graham, I remember. And uh, also a great guy, um, a great performance too. And I know that people like to trash this stuff and say like, yeah, it's just Jason, it's just a guy in a mask. No, it's not that easy. You can put a mask on anybody, but not everybody can be menacing, uh, menacing and threatening, and scary. Uh, that's not that easy. You could maybe put a mask on a guy like um, like Hulk Hogan, and uh, give him some makeup and and a distorted body and stuff like that. I'm sure that he could still look menacing even at his old age right now. But that's not the point. The point is, these guys, C.J. Graham and especially Kane Hodder, he knew what kind of body language he wanted to perform. It was a bit over the top, I get that, but it was so dynamic, so energetic and unique. No one else did what he did. And I respect him for doing that, bringing Jason not only to life, but making him larger than anyone else ever could. This guy is just, I mean, look, Kane Hodder behind the mask, he he plays Jason, he walks around, he turns his head first, finds a victim, and then the body follows and turns into the same direction. That's the kind of 
of dedication he puts into performance to make this character look and feel menacing and threatening. And that's, like I said, something only he does. And up to this day, officially, it's not completely clear why in Freddy vs. Jason they kicked Kane out. I'm sure that he was mentioned because he did a great job before. And the director probably, that's just my theory, I have no facts on this, but he probably had a, some grudge against him. I don't know why. Maybe Kane was too complicated to film with or to work with. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. He's quite an opinionated man, I think. And uh, he, he has a passion for this kind of job, you know. And uh, if, if I would have been a movie director, I would have just said to, to him, look, do what you do best. Be Jason. That's it. Okay, the cameras are rolling. You do your job. These and these people need to be killed. You know what to do, man. And that's it. You know, you, you get a great performance every single time. And instead, they took someone else. I forgot his name. I don't know the guy's name. And uh, that Jason was different. That, the, the Freddy versus Jason Jason was like a gigantic dog, like a puppy. Uh, a dangerous puppy, but uh, it, it, he did a good job for what it was meant to be. And, and the overall performance was, I think, okay. But it could have been much more action-packed, more... Um, I mean, not action-packed in the sense of the actual action, but in the sense of his body language and performance. Could have been much dangerous, uh, much more dangerous, much more menacing, like what Kane brought to the table. But they didn't want that. They wanted to make him look silly, I guess, so that Robert England would maybe have an advantage over him just to make him act like a disabled child. And... Yeah, well, eh, I kind of, I don't really see eye to eye to this kind of stuff. I think the old Jason was much better. And, uh, well, the first incarnation, I think Jason from part two, three, and four were no good. At least not to me. There is something missing. These are the movies where you can easily say it's just a guy in a mask and that's it. There is no persona behind the mask that you could feel to be somehow threatening. There is something missing, something essential missing. And in part five, well, it's pretty much the same stuff. And it's this time just a guy pretending to be Jason and using his name to avenge his son's death. That's the whole film. Um, it's not that bad, but the plot is bullshit. And uh, part six is where it's really becoming more interesting to me personally. And um, I even enjoy the trashed film Jason Goes to Hell. I think that's one of the most uh, entertaining horror films I've ever seen. And I know that it's the most hated Jason film of all time. And, and that's not really fair. It's, it's really not fair. Production-wise, and the creativity behind that film, if you've never seen a Friday movie, and you have no bias against uh, the, the sequels, um... Watch Jason Goes to Hell, just for the sake of it. Watch it. The soundtrack is great. It's it's very over the top. Very uh, like it. It sounds bloodthirsty. It's trying to get your attention and get you at the edge of your seat. And um, the acting is pretty well done. 
the action and the the gore, the way it was uh, put together and shot, the special effects. It's just they really put some effort into this film, trying to make it gruesome. And we know that two uh, film students got got green light to actually make that film. And many fans think that that was the worst mistake they could have ever made. And I disagree. I think that Jason Goes to Hell is really a great film. It has its plot holes and some unlogic moments, of course. But if you look past that and just treat the movie as a single film in a universe that might be detached from the original films, it becomes a completely different thing. It's a gem, in my opinion, in the horror film franchise. And... Uh, I think not many movies are that entertaining like Jason Goes to Hell, especially not with a choreography. The violence in this movie is over the top. It's really, really crafty here with many special effects, practical effects. And they don't shy away from blood and, you know, and splatter and all that. And it does the job what it's supposed to do to underline the fact that Jason is really dangerous and menacing. And I agree that the incarnations of Jason in this film are maybe not everyone's cup of tea. I get that. I can understand why people hated the film. But that much hate that it becomes one of the worst movies ever made, that's not true. Not by a long shot. Uh, I think, for me, this is just a great film, and I think I bought it on Blu-ray, if I... I think I have it on Blu-ray. Um, I'm glad I have that picture. It's just, uh, it's a nice thing to watch. How long have I been talking? Almost an hour. Okay, maybe I should cut short. I think you guys are falling asleep from my voice now. Mm. This, this whiskey is great. At least for now. Maybe I have underestimated the Talisker taste. Maybe I shouldn't be so mean to Talisker. Oh, I don't care. Um, other horror films for you guys to look out is a title called The Descent. A movie also shot sometime in the 2000s. It's a, it's a film about some... Amateur cave explorers, all female, a female cast, but not like these female casts today with this, you know, political, provocative thinking and all that kind of stuff behind it. No, it's no agenda. We're just talking about females enjoying their single lives and exploring a cave together. And that's where the shit hits the fan. They meet or they, they encounter creatures that are human-like but have been living underground for centuries, maybe. We don't know. They've been living there for fucking ever and they're blind. And very pale, of course. They just live in darkness. And uh, that film, if you haven't seen it, you, you have got to watch it. It's one of the greatest horror films ever made. It's the, the first half of the movie is maybe a bit slow. It gets a bit boring after a while, 
perhaps. I guess if, if you're not into slow burn storytelling at first, I get that. But bear with me on this. Sit through it because the second half is pure mayhem. It's stunningly great storytelling, very frightening at times, with great effects, great moments, and pure survival to the, to the final moment. It's really well done. You have to watch it. If you dislike this film, there's something wrong with you, man. There's really something wrong. And uh, what else can I think of? There's so many good horror films, actually, especially the old ones like The Burning or... Um, uh, wait, a, wait a second. What's the movie called again? My memory is not the best these days. I have to admit that. Um, I think The Last Man on Earth was also pretty, pretty well done. I think if I remember correctly, it was Vincent Price in the leading role. One of the most charming men in, in Hollywood who ever walked the earth. Really just a brilliant guy. Oh yeah, the remake of The Thing is still a movie. I know, talked about to death. John Carpenter's remake of the original 50s film. I think the 50s. Uh, his version is just by far the best. It's it's uh, It has... Kurt Russell in the in the leading role, like in other John Carpenter's films, because Kurt is probably really cool to work with. Um, he also starred in John Carpenter's film um, Escape from New York. I have I haven't seen this movie that often. Maybe just once. Personally, it's not my thing. It's it's a it's a cool story, but I, it's not really my kind of movie. And. Uh, I think one of the better films is Big Trouble in Little China, which is more an action comedy than really a horror film. It's more a fantasy flick, but it's it's very entertaining to watch. You have to watch it. It's like a combination of Mortal Kombat and, um, and a Western action film, I think. But we can disagree on that, I guess. My point is just, from all this this talk, I would wish for people who make movies these, these days, in this day and age, to not judge over the old movies lightly and don't think that you can make a movie just like uh, the real professionals can. Because most likely, you cannot do that. You can take a camera and try to shoot a film. It's fine. You have to learn and start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere and learns this kind of stuff. It starts small. I get that. But um, you have to sit on your ass, in my opinion, and study the work bit by bit, frame by frame if you have to. If you can, maybe you can educate yourself and go to school and pay for, for a film, you know, like movie school, uh, maybe if you can go to college, that kind of stuff. Get as much information as you can before you start making a movie. And that's coming from a guy who never made movies before because I know it's a hassle to make a movie. I know it's not easy. It's, I've, I've, I've dealt with the information. I've dealt with the process. At least I have educated myself into this process. I know that it's a hard-ass job making movies. If you don't believe me, 
just take uh, the passion needed for some people to make this movie, to be so dedicated to a project like Bruce Campbell. If you don't know who Bruce Campbell is, he was the main star in the original Evil Dead movie. Evil Dead 1, the Evil Dead 2 remake, the comedy, uh, The Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 3, and uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead, one of the more recent productions of Bruce, Bruce Campbell, where he admits that at his age, in his 50s, you know, making this kind of movie is not easy anymore. But, now bear with me. I know from the uh, director's commentary of the original Evil Dead movie, I think, on, uh, I, think I, I bought a DVD sometime around, uh, I think, the 2000s. There was uh, an audio commentary from Sam Raimi and I think Bruce himself too and someone else. I, I can't remember who that was. Maybe Sam's brother. Not quite sure. But I know that they talked about the movie in detail, about production costs, about the, the, the complicated uh, uh, productions. Uh, they, they had to go through the, the times, the, the accidents, and uh, the, it, just everything. The cold, um, the agony of making these movies. And the fact that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are still friends today. And back then, Sam asked Bruce, I think he asked him, if he was willing to make the stunts himself, to make it look more realistic. And all these flips that Bruce did in Evil Dead 2, at least in the remake, where he was you know, wrestling himself with his hand, um, that's just... That is an insane performance. He's actually doing everything himself, and he does it so well and so believable. It's, in, it's really crazy. And I, I heard Sam say that they were practicing in their rooms and throwing, uh, at least uh, uh, Bruce Campbell was throwing himself against shelves, trying to practice stunts to make it look real. So he was willing to bruise himself up just to make the movie look real. I mean, that's dedication. That's awesome. I can't remember anyone else doing this kind of stuff. I mean, if you want to live for movies, maybe you got to go the extra mile and hurt yourself. You don't have to really physically hurt yourself, but I'm just putting this as an example. This guy, whom I respect very much, he put effort into this film. And... You don't find this stuff anywhere else. It's just, we're talking about people loving movies, putting their heart and soul into these, these projects and believing that they can make them come to life. And uh, the, the, the outcome is worth it. All the struggle, all the, the, the issues they probably had, um, the financial issues, um, maybe fights on set even, and the agony of going through it without having the help of a computer doing it for him for them that's just amazing that's just really amazing and i think it's under underestimated what these people went through just to make a movie that lasts for all these years and becomes a cult classic and i salute Raimi for doing that you know and i salute him for you know going through these spider-man films i think he did a great job with them uh, part three is, of course, uh, a production story with the Sony executives and, ag again, people in suits, you know, fucking things up. 
it's not Sam's fault. But, you know, back to the old days, back to the roots, it, it somehow always starts in, in a horror film somewhere for some people. And I really enjoy the old movies most and a lot more than what I see nowadays. And I hope that sometime in the future uh, that someone up there uh, comes up with an idea that hasn't been shot before and takes it to heart and makes a really good film. And that can be maybe compared to the old uh, work, the old style and effort that people uh, put into these movies. And maybe, maybe they don't see eye to eye. Maybe fans don't see it eye to eye. New generations probably struggle accepting the old films in any shape or form by saying, uh, look, it looks cheesy and the old effects and it's all Clado and it's not really, you know, it's, there's no CGI. Yeah, I get that. It's, it's, uh, for every generation, there's a gap of understanding and acceptance. I get that. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn from this kind of process, right? So whoever wants to make a new film, I wish you all the best. I might watch it and I might tear it apart, but if it's a good film, I might remember it for the next years to come. And so does everyone else, I suppose. So I'm losing myself here in a, a pointless conversation. <laughs> I'm talking to a microphone that doesn't care what I think. Hmm. I still have a lot to drink. This glass is... Um, uh, almost the same shape as it started. It's um, it's getting late. I'm almost at 10 p.m. here at my place, in my country, and I should stop this recording. I'm going to upload it soon enough. Maybe somebody's going to listen to it. If you love horror films and you'd like to to watch a few cult classics, uh, some gems that I can recommend. I will put some links here for you to enjoy, some links to uh, the IMDB website. And you can decide for yourself if you want to watch them or not. And I can also link some of the worst uh, horror films that might be uh, agonizing to watch, but maybe fun to watch too. And uh, I'm going to add them as well to the list. Maybe talk about those movies next time. Maybe it's going to be a different topic. Maybe, finally, I'm going to talk about my work and what I do. Up until then, as usual, stay safe. Um, stay home if you want to, if you can, or if you must. And enjoy yourselves a little bit. Have a drink. Have some good food if you can. Cook for yourselves. And love each other and all that crap. <laughs> and uh, we'll see each other on the other side. Take care. And over and out.